0: It's great to worship with you this morning, Um, and it's great to follow that old man, Eric Noggle. Um, Something I find as I get older, Eric, is, is my memory is not as good as it used to be. My wife last night was chiding me. She said, you can't remember this? I said, it was 10 years ago, and she goes, I know, but you can't, I can't remember, I can't remember. Uh, The last time I remember this happening was Hannah. Do you remember Hannah from the Bible? Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah was married to a guy named Elkanah, and um, he loved her deeply. Uh, Elkanah had two wives. Ancient world was a little different, but uh, one of his wives, Peninnah, had children. Hannah did not. And that was a deeply shameful thing in the ancient world not to have kids. And it seems that Peninnah wouldn't let Hannah forget it. First Samuel says, she kept provoking her in order to irritate her. She poked and poked and poked and poked over and over and over again. Maybe you've experienced that from someone in your life. I did the winter after the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> poke, poke, poke. Hannah could not be consoled. In fact, one day, uh, their whole family went to the holy place at Shiloh to worship God, but Hannah was not in a worshiping mood. She left the room, wept bitterly about not being able to have children, and asked God, begged God for, ch- for a child. She was praying so intently, her lips were moving, but she wasn't speaking out loud, and Eli the priest was there by the door watching it happen, and he just knew what was going on here. First Samuel 1, verse 13, Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. She wasn't drunk. She was praying. And God answered her prayer. She would give birth to Samuel, the last judge of Israel, the mighty prophet, the the one who anointed Israel's greatest king, David. Well, it happened again. Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to open up there. Acts 2. People are watching as they come together for this massive feast in Jerusalem, the first followers of Jesus, and they are exploding in prayer and proclaiming the mighty wonders of God. Pentecost is happening. The Spirit descends like flame, and and the apostles are speaking different languages about the wonders of God. Everybody was amazed and perplexed. But some, in verse 14, made fun of them. And here's what they said They've had too much wine. Drunk. I suppose that's a sensible way to describe behavior that seems bizarre or extraordinary, you know? Things that are beyond our sort of scientific reasoning are often met with people saying things like, what is wrong with you? You must be off your rocker. Are you drunk? But these followers weren't drunk. They were praying. They were proclaiming the wonders of God, and God would answer their prayers. Something special was born, Something prophetic, the anointing of the greatest king in all of their history. The flame of God's spirit combusted among the people of God and they fanned the flame into their world. This month we began a series in the book of Acts called When Your World Catches Flame and we're we're seeing God do something amazing among the first followers of Jesus. Uh, Something that baffled them, I think, something that delighted them and utilized them in ways they could not have imagined. And God can do the same for you. For us, he wants us to enjoy his presence, he wants us to join in his mission, to witness to his world, and to do that together. His spirit has come. His world is in need, but there's one question, there's one question that remains, and it's a burning question that all of us must clarify for ourselves in order to fan into flame this beautiful gift he's given to the church. It's a question with a lot of possible answers. And uh, Peter here in Acts 2, he's full of the spirit's flame, and he points out a lot of the false flames in his first sermon to the people, a lot of kind of bad answers to this burning question. And you see it from some of the people who are questioning and accusing the disciples. And then in Acts 2, Peter seeks to clarify, starting in verse 14, we read this. Peter, it says, stood up with the 11." Now notice he's not alone. He stands with these other apostles together to witness. So do we. And remember too, these guys, uh, Willie James Jennings puts it this way, these are 12 men, none with exceptional credentials, no fabulous educational pedigrees, none with immense cultural capital to draw on, all standing in front of Israelites with nothing more than a message. Kind of like us. Peter, among the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. The little term addressed in Greek means to speak with gravity, with authority. This is a prophetic kind of message. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This sarcastic crowd, you see, had assumed the disciples' allegiance to things like comfort and pleasure and overindulgence and escape. And guess what? Our world makes those same assumptions of us as well. Those are some of the false flames in our day that promise to warm us and to give us light. And you see it, don't you? Especially these days, there's so much desire to escape and to find comfort and pleasure and all the rest. I mean, I just read a study in 2021, Um, Americans spend an average of 5.4 hours every day on their cell phone. Almost a quarter of our day on our cell phone on average, again, check it 63 times each day. Why? Well, it's fun. It's an escape. It's a dopamine hit to the pleasure center of our brains or maybe something that baffles me even more is that over the last decade or so Americans have purchased 30 million snuggies 30 million I mean I've bought one but that, but <laughs> why that's warm it's comfortable it's pleasurable So you can forgive the crowd for assuming these disciples, ah, they're drunk. But that probably says more about these people than it does the disciples. After all, 9 o'clock in the morning was a typical customary Jewish hour of prayer, and most Jewish folks wouldn't even eat until after that hour of prayer, uh, let alone on a solemn feast day like Pentecost. So for many, you know, they would celebrate with food and wine later in the day, maybe too much wine, who knows. But for someone like this crowd who hasn't experienced the filling of God's presence, wine was an easier way to explain what was going on than the work of God maybe you feel that now. I mean, some these days, they put their allegiance, their, their hope, and, and their time and energy into comfort and pleasure and escapism and all of that. That's what we seem to crave as a generation. And, and if you don't do that, people look at you confused. Wait a minute, you're, you're sacrificing for something? You serve people? You give your money away? You avoid suffocating amounts of screen time. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You put boundaries around your sexual appetites? You spend time quietly reading the Bible and praying to God? Weirdo. Boring. That's not boring. It's just an alternative answer to Pentecost, to life's burning question. A question that you and I have to answer. And the question that I'm talking about, just to clarify, it's not about burning. It's not, where did America's deadliest fire take place? Since you asked, it was April 27th, 1865. It was aboard the steamship Sultana. Days after the Civil War had ended, uh, about 2,000. Union soldiers who had become prisoners in the South were loaded on a steamship to go home up the Mississippi River. But the boilers exploded. A ship that was only intended to hold 376 passengers had 2,000 soldiers, and 1,800 of them died. Which is horrific and tragic and unexpected, it's the deadliest maritime disaster, but there's, there's a question far more critical for, than that for us, a question those soldiers had to answer definitively that day, sooner than they expected, and the question for us that's burning for us may come sooner than you expect. Peter asked it in verse 23, even while noting other false flames in his generation, he described Jesus this way, this man was handed over to you, he says, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, the phrase wicked men literally translates the phrase those without the law Jesus was crucified, not just by his Jewish kinfolk, but Peter says by those without the law, the Gentiles, the Romans. In other words, everyone has his blood on their hands because we've all answered the burning question poorly in our life. No wonder Peter would finish his sermon in verse 40 with this plea, save yourselves, he says, from this corrupt generation, this crooked, this bent, this twisted, scolios is the word, scoliosis generation. The world apart from God has traveled a windy path in the wrong direction, illuminated by false flames. And my question is, have you found yourself on that path? Wide is the gate, Jesus said. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Is that where you are today? Sarcastic of spiritual things, doubting the work of God, diving into your own pleasures and your own priorities and your own things. You've answered the burning question, but is it the final answer you want to make to it? Now, again, the burning question is not, what is the largest wildfire in modern times? But since you asked... It's the Black Dragon Fire of 1987. I don't know if you remember this or not. Some of you may. It's, uh, it burned 20 million acres across China and the Soviet Union. That's about the size of South Carolina. <laughs> Horrific. But there's a question far more critical than that. And Peter, in verse 16, he points to the prophet Joel to rattle the people back to this key question. Joel saw God's Spirit doing something new, even while the present world in his mind was being turned upside down. In Joel's day, it was locust plagues among the people and foreign armies coming in, but Peter sees it happening before his very eyes. In fact, a little more than seven weeks prior to his sermon here, the people of Jerusalem saw the sun darken in the afternoon on the crucifixion day of Good Friday. And and perhaps even that gloom of the day carried over as the paschal full moon came out, it may have risen blood red in the sky because of the lingering doom. And he's seeing all these things and he says, this is the new order of God's spirit. And he says, this is God blowing out all the false flames and he's providing the pure flame instead. And that's trouble for us so comfortable with false flames. We need help. I mean, after all, here's the thing. It's not that you don't love God. It's just that we find ourselves loving all kinds of other things, too. Sometimes a little bit more, if we wanted to be honest. And we find our passions and our loves going in two different directions. Kind of like my heater at home. A couple weeks ago, what Jody and I dreaded happened. Our 27-year-old furnace got a crack in the heat exchanger. I didn't have any idea what that meant. So I asked lots of folks who know what they're talking about and they explained to me things about what was going on. I saw it a little bit. You know, essentially, in layman's terms, it seems like there's a flame that should be shooting into a tube, but instead it's shooting in two different directions. That's a problem. So we called for help. And maybe your passions and your priorities in life are shooting in a couple of different directions right now and you need some help. Who do you call for Help. We need to call on someone to save us from this split generation, to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves. And that prompts the burning question I want you to hear, a question we all have to answer. Who will you serve as Lord? Who will you serve as Lord? We all serve somebody, something. Who will you serve? Peter again in this sermon he he demonstrates the one we should call on the the pure flame in a world with plenty of fire. Look at verse twenty two, fellow Israelites. He says, "Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. Do you hear it? First of all, Jesus was fully human. He was a man, and from Nazareth no less, born into humble circumstances, not born into great wealth. Was a political refugee as a child and moved from place to place until he settled in Nazareth." He was a a craftsman, worked with his hands. He was a Jewish minority in a Roman-dominated world. Listen, he's walked in your shoes. He's felt the sting of loneliness and despair and hunger and want. He's been tempted by the same kinds of things you've been tempted by. He's felt pain and heartbreak and loss. His close friend Lazarus died way too young. His, His close friend Judas stabbed him in the back. His brothers didn't even believe in him. He knows what it's like to have the world count you as a failure. You don't have to search for someone to sympathize you with you. Jesus is fully human. He understands. And yet far from a failure, keep reading verse 22. He was accredited by God to you. By miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. That little term, accredited, means it was kind of a semi-technical Greek term. was used in some inscriptions for people who received an appointment for office but weren't fully functioning in that office yet. Think of like a president-elect, you know? And Peter seems to say, in his ministry on earth, as he was doing these teachings and performing these miracles, Jesus was designated by God as the Messiah, but now in his death and resurrection, he is fully active in that role as the king of all the world. He succeeded, he tasted death like we do, and he won, he knows our experience, he can relate, he's human, and yet also, he's completely unlike us, Jesus is also God. Verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death couldn't arrest him. It couldn't seize him. He's bigger than our biggest enemy, death. He's so big. In fact, Peter uses this strange phrase to describe it. Literally, he says God raised him, loosing him from the uh, odin, from the birth pangs of death. Death couldn't hold him in its womb. His resurrection was a new birth out of death, like, like Samuel's birth out of Hannah's dead womb. Jesus was born, as it were, out of death, never to return. I like the way George Bertram put it, the abyss can no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold a child in her body. <laughs> He's God! And even the great hero David doesn't compare. Verse 29, uh, Peter says, fellow Israelites, I I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. David died. His flame went out. Jesus defeated death, and his flame lives on. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of it. Verse 32. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I want you to hear that clearly this morning. God made Jesus Lord. There's no disputing that fact. That's the truth. That's the reality. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether I want to believe it or not, it's the reality. The feeder of death is the king of all. He is Lord, which means you are not. I am not. Help me out. I'm going to point at you. And I don't want you to say the words not Lord, okay? Okay? Social media is. The stock market is. Your political candidate is. Ooh, how in trouble do I want to get here this morning? Your bucket list is. Your opinions are. The elders are. The senior pastor is. You said that very easily. (laughs) Your comfort, your pleasure, your safety, your satisfaction, they are, Jesus is Lord. The only question that remains, the burning question is, who will you serve as Lord? The true Lord or something else? Maybe you think that question is too dramatic. I mean, after all, what does it matter if we dabble a little, you know, in our own sins, a little greed here, a little lust, a little pride, you know, what does it matter? Uh, kind of like the um, railroad workers near pashtigo Wisconsin, October eighth, 1871. They were clearing some land to put a new railroad in and uh, they had a lot of brush and so they decided to start a little uh, a fire a little brush fire clear out some of that um, and uh, you know also a little warmth in the fall a little light in the evening on a sunday evening and so they they began a little fire and it kind of grew and it grew and there was wind and there was dry ground and and it quickly became an inferno the deadliest most devastating forest fire in american history Uh, before it went out it uh, scorched about 1.5 million acres, even skipping over the waters of Green Bay into Door and Kewanee counties. Over 1,200 people lost their lives, $169 million in property damage, and the city of Peshtigo, Wisconsin was gone in an hour. <laughs> gone. I don't know that I'd heard much about that, and and we don't hear much about it these days because I think it happened on the exact same day as allegedly Mrs. O'Leary's cow tipped over the lantern in the city of Chicago. But the Peshtigo fire of 1871 happened because someone's ill-advised tiny little flame. And my question for you is, Are you starting fires with sin you can't control? Are you in way over your head right now? Because if so, this pressing question, this burning question is even more crucial to answer. Who will you serve as Lord? The world calls to us. Jesus calls to us. Which will you choose? Well, when the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. Luke uses an uncommon word that the Greek poet Homer would use to describe horses stamping the earth with their hooves. Their hearts were trampled. And they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And I hope you'll hear how they called on the name of the Lord this morning. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus, forgiveness of sins, reception of the Holy Spirit, those four form a singular response through the book of Acts. They become the normal fuel for conversion to Jesus. If you want to serve Jesus as Lord, turn away from trusting false flames. Repent. Turn away from rejecting Jesus and trust him instead. Be immersed in water in his name. Now, for people in Peter's day... For Jewish people in Peter's day, baptism meant uh, pagan Gentile people coming into Judaism. That's, where, that's who were baptized in his day. So for a Jewish believer to be baptized was sort of disrespectful. It was sort of offensive, but it showed who their Lord was, and it still does. Getting immersed in water in front of friends and family and the church family, it's probably not something you choose to do. It's wet, it's cold. It messes up your hair. But you participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is, as Willie Willie James Jennings again puts it, every baptism in the name of Jesus will say it loudly and clearly, come Holy Spirit, claim yet another part of your creation. Claim yet another child of God. He washes away our sins in forgiveness. And then notice the gift. The gift is not a formula for getting eternal life. The gift is not a lottery ticket to get anything we want from God. The gift is God Himself. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is the gift. God in you. Will you receive Him? You've got to answer this burning question this morning. Who will you serve as Lord? You know, the more I think about it and try to knock off all the rust of my aging memory. I do remember one other place in the Bible that something like this happened. Someone accused someone of being drunk. Not just Hannah, not these disciples on Pentecost only. But one time Jesus said of himself, he said, The son of man came eating and drinking. You remember? And he said to this crowd, You say... Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You hear it, don't you? Jesus was mistaken for a drunk, but he wasn't. He just refused to serve the world's lords. Will you? Will you serve Jesus as Lord? That's the burning question, and And I hope you'll answer it. I hope you'll answer it today because if today is the day that you're ready, then then come, come. Let's talk after the service. Come, discover more about Jesus. Come and pray. Come, repent. Be immersed in baptism. Come, receive forgiveness of sins and the the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come, say yes to Jesus today. Today. I do hope that Peter's sermon will light a fire under you to answer this burning question today. Uh, Lord God, we are thankful for the salvation we have in Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and we're thankful for you, God, among us, with us, in us, by your Spirit. It's more than we deserve. You are more than we deserve. Help us today, Lord, to answer this question and to live it out this week as we seek to define ourselves by our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. stand and sing a couple songs with us.